Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that gives you a peek inside the minds of some truly inspirational teachers. This week, I'm delighted to welcome none other than Andrew Jeffrey onto the podcast to talk about all things primary mathematics. Andrew is a larger-than-life titan of the mathematics education world and the ideal guest to help us kick off season three, and I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's spend some time thinking deeply about primary mathematics education. So Andrew, thank you very much for joining me and for the, the start of season three. Pleasure, pleasure. It's very exciting. I think people who are familiar with the format will know that we start with our guests in numbers just to get a feel for them. So, you know, try as much as possible to answer in numbers, but do feel free to add caveats. My first question is years as a teacher. Well, I think it's 20, which sounds like a very high number to me. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with 20, possibly 21. First year group taught? Well, this is slightly embarrassing, Kieran, because uh, I am... I think it's five, but what, my heart sunk when I hit the question. And I mean, you're supposed to know, right? Everyone remembers their first class, like, oh, yeah, I'll never forget my first. But actually, what I, what I remembered was um, that I was uh, I was introduced to Cuisinaire rods at the first time by a course for the first time on a course I was doing. And I, I just actually remember much more about how exciting I found the Cuisinaire rods than than anything about the children. So I'm, I'm just slightly ashamed to say I'm, I'm only think it's year five. Last year group taught? That's year six. I do know that because it was only a week ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a much more reasonable kind of question to ask. Most important year group? Well, you see, um, when I was preparing, I put one. It's not, it's not a, you know, it's not an easy question because it's open to all sorts of um, interpretation and uh, subjectivity. I've listened to all your guests um, wriggle their way awkwardly around this question <laughs> as well. So I'm, I'm in good company not being sure, but um, I mean, it depends, doesn't it? Because you could say uh, 11, because that's the year you either get a GCSE in maths and springboard your career, or you don't. You could say reception, because that's the first time you're in formal mathematics. I, uh, My instinct was one, um, my instinct was to go with one because I think that's when you, well, at Key Stage 1, you learn more new mathematical ideas um, in any, than in any other two-year period, um, possibly in your life, actually, uh, but certainly until um, uh, post-compulsory. And I thought that's fascinating. So, um, but actually, right now at this moment, as we are in the summer of 2021, I'm going to say year three is the most important year group. It, it's funny, my um, uh, my I should explain that I'm I'm actually teaching part time at the moment for reasons we might we might get to. But um, <clears throat> the head stood up at the end of term, and the last day of term last week, and said, uh, um, uh, "Right now, I remember a year ago, everyone, uh, when we got to the we got to July 2020, saying, uh, well, congratulations, everyone, what a year that was. At least you know you'll never have a year as bad as that again.'" And everyone laugh, but the thing is, uh, we've had two hugely disrupted years, um, as everyone knows. And um, so, children going into year three now, those children, their two most disrupted years 
have been year one and two. And given my kind of comment about um, the, the fact that year one and two are absolutely full of new mathematical look at the national curriculum anyone listening to this uh, go and look at the national curriculum actually probably don't you've got more interesting things to do but take it from me those two years are absolutely packed with massive massive uh, mathematical ideas that are new and exciting and you know what without those it's like you may as well not bother with key stage two. You can't access that curriculum. So I, that's why I'm going to go with uh, year three at this moment in time are the most important year group and certainly are going to be a priority for me moving forward. Yeah, I completely see that. And, you know, I think, like as you say, you know, year one and key stage one come up quite often as the answer to the most important year group because of the fundamentals, you know, because when you teach older children, you can see the, the, the connection between what they learn in those sort of really formative years and having missed those, you know, I reckon that's where we need to invest, you know, a lot of front loading of sort of key ideas so that pupils can be successful because we, because we, we know that once we have those maths becomes progressively, I think, more straightforward. I don't want to say easier, but the kids who have that knowledge, they, they succeed in maths later on, I think, in a, in a, in a different way. What about your favorite year group? Well, again, I was humming and hawing over this because <clears throat> uh, I I originally trained as a secondary teacher, and this has been uh, and this has been interesting because um, I love the maths from that uh, age group much. It's it's more interesting maths, let's be honest. But but what I really really discovered very early in my career was what I actually loved was um, the early mathematical concepts and seeing how learning actually happens so i in the end went and specialized in in primary um and uh, i'm really pleased about that and i've gone for year two as my favorite uh, because they are just at the age where they're starting to realize really quite exciting things for them and and if you can put yourself in the mind of a year two child discovering that you know seven billion and two billion is nine billion and you don't have to use that many fingers is just so exciting and and in the number in the number 23 you know the two is worth loads more than the three and that you know if you're half a decent teacher that's a fantastically exciting thing to impart and and, and you haven't yet discovered um that you can't do maths uh, because you can um unfortunately many year two children will, will go on in the very next year to discover that they think they can't do maths whereas actually what they can't do is remember algorithms that have no meaning to them i don't have enough soapboxes <laughs> to be honest Karen. but yeah algorithms are are the tools of mathematics they're not mathematics i mean no one no one no one looks at um the michelangelo's statue of david and goes wow that dude his chisels man I mean, you know, Michelangelo was never about the chisels. He's about the statue. And unfortunately, I'm afraid too much of our maths is just about the tools. Got to use these tools. Got to use these tools. We never bother to stop and build anything with them. Um, and that's a horrible generalization, but it is what I'm beginning to realize um, that our curriculum is full of tools and nobody ever makes the bench. So I'm going to say two because they still love maths. They're still excited about maths. They haven't... Uh, they haven't been told they can't do it yet. They haven't begun to develop that weak self-esteem around it yet, um, mostly. I love that you're coming at it from that angle where you've got that experience of some of the most complex maths people will teach and then specialise in their primary. I think that's a really powerful way to approach, you know, certainly when I see people who have had similar experiences, you know, they're normally sort of 
bring in something new and dynamic. And when you talk about, you know, that, that sort of beauty and that and the, and the why, you know, it, it really comes across in your in your sessions. You know, I could watch your sessions, you know, over and over again. And I've seen a few a couple of times and I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to watch that again. And so, yeah, it really comes across um, really strongly in what you do. And I suppose the most important question, tweets. <laughs> well, do you know what? This is like, this is very embarrassing. Um, not the number of tweets, which a lot of people seem to be embarrassed about. I notice your guests have this cu curious kind of, uh, divide that half of them are embarrassed how few and half of them embarrassed how many I'm not embarrassed at all either way um, it's 24.8 thousand um, what I'm embarrassed about is how long it took me to work out how to find how many tweets I've done you'd have thought somebody you'd done that many would understand and there friends listeners is a perfect metaphor for not just making kids do millions of calculations and hoping they'll understand. I've done thousands of tweets and I still don't know how to find out. So anyway, the answer is, well, it was when I wrote this down, 24.8K. I suspect I may have approached the 25K mark by the time this goes out. And Matt Swain was actually taught how to check his number of tweets while we were recording the episode. So one up on you, Swain. One up on you. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. So you are a teacher, mathematics specialist, mathematician, director of mathematical puzzles at BBC Radio 5 Live. <laughs> That's not an official title. <laughs> you just made that up. <laughs> the, the, I really enjoyed listening to those last year. Um, my favourite one was the tennis score. You know, what's the possible, lowest possible number of shots you can take to win a, three, a set? Oh, yeah, the lowest possible number of shots you can take to win a set. I've had more conversations around that puzzle with people very angry at the answer. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, I've, you know, we've triple checked that before putting it out. And, uh, and it, is, it is completely true. I don't know spoilers, but, you know, uh, check it out, guys. How many shots can you win a set of tennis with the smallest number of shots possible? Nice. It was one of the rare ones that I caught at the start, had time to think about, and then caught up with the, you know, your phone call at the end. Talk through the answers. I really enjoyed that one. And um, co-host of the Puzzling Maths podcast, author, founder of Maths Week England, and potentially the nicest person in education. <laughs> Don't laugh. Where do, you, where do you get that? And that's like what? <laughs> I think it's well deserved. I think um, your interactions with people, you know, how generous you are with both your time and your knowledge you know i, I reckon you know you'd, you'd need to try really hard to find someone who cared more about his fellow professionals so I, i'm keeping that in there and maybe take out the laugh and so the question is tell us about your journey and how you got here okay <laughs> that's quite um yeah <laughs> i read that you were going to say that and i thought he's going to say that but actually hearing you say that that still feels quite uh that's really lovely thank you um i think integrity for me is is everything it gets me into trouble sometimes um uh but well, my journey is i don't know i guess I, i'm not sure there's anything there is a typical one but mine was as atypical as it can be in that um if you'd met me as a as a child at primary school age um you wouldn't have been particularly impressed with <clears throat> with anything really um because um i I went to the boarding school. A lot of a lot of kids my age, uh, their parents were in the forces, and it was kind of Cold War, back end of the Cold War era, and uh, people were moving around all the time, and uh, so the the forces paid uh, sort of bursaries for 
for kids to go to boarding schools if their parents were in the forces and, and moved around a lot. So I ended up at a boarding school down in uh, Sussex, uh, which, you know, and I've basically moved and lived here ever since. Uh, but but uh, I was away from home and um, I didn't cope very well. Um, what I didn't know, uh, which I only found out recently, is that I have uh, severe ADHD and this has been a revelation to me and I'm having to work my life out backwards. So I mucked up school quite stunningly because they just had me down as lazy, naughty, fidgety, stupid, uh, forgetful. Uh, and arguably all of those things were, were true in some sense, but what they didn't do is look behind the symptoms um, uh, because no one really was talking about ADHD uh, in the UK, at least uh, back in the um, uh, 70s and 80s. So I didn't do well at school um, and I was in trouble all the time. Um, and then I, I couldn't remember anything, so I wasn't a good learner. But then something interesting happened, which is that uh, I was in a maths class and I realized, you know, akin to what I said earlier about, you know, 7 billion and 2 billion being 9 billion. I realized I, I didn't need to, um, to remember loads of things. I, I couldn't remember things. And, and so maths was something I could actually do because I saw the pattern. I saw that maths was not really about like remembering a load of stuff. It's about structures and sequences and patterns and predictions. And those are four words I want to see a lot more in mass curricula, you know, but let's, let's keep, let's keep praying. Uh, but so, so ironically, the, my love of mathematics came not from the mathematics, but from the lack of punishment that I got in maths lessons compared to other lessons. So I became interested in maths and it was the thing that I could avoid trouble in the longest. Uh, which, you know, is a weird thing. So, um, so that was me. So, and then I, I, goodness only knows why I became a teacher. Uh, I think, I think there's a part of me that says my, my childhood experience, my educational experience, my general life has been so, I won't use a rude word, but um, awful, uh, difficult that I, it would be wonderful to make sense, to make some meaning of this by, trying trying to do something I don't know this sounds a little bit kind of self-serving but I, I basically didn't want other kids to have to go through what I'd been through Kieran does that make sense so so that's kind of how I became a teacher um and then I spent the first half of my career trying to explain to kids how easy maths was and then then I studied a bit harder and then I spent the second half trying to explain to teachers how hard maths is to teach so that's yeah, that's how I got here. Well, I don't know where here is. The first big question, and I've asked everyone I've talked to about maths, why is a high quality mathematics education so important? It's actually really, it's a, a very important question. We sometimes, we're so excited by our, uh, our passion for maths education that we forget to do what, you know, Simon Sinek reminds us and start with the why. Ed Southall also reminds us, you know, yes, but why? Uh, bless him. And, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. So. For me, it's about opportunity. Um, you, uh, maths is nothing to do with your, um, your socioeconomic uh, level. Um, it, your attainment, your potential, I should say, is nothing to do with that. Unfortunately, your future potential uh, at social economic uh, outcomes are a lot around it. It pervades everything you do. So even just existing in the universe, I mean, I was, I was doing a VAT return this morning and trying to work out why on earth 
my last return had 15 and a half percent and the previous the next one had 12 and what have i done wrong and all that kind of stuff and i, and I was comfortable enough doing the numbers but what about people who aren't i mean equity is is important uh, i think that if you give everyone the chance to do uh, to have a, a quality mathematics education. So, you know, I don't just mean a, um, you know, a, a good GCSE pass, but it does, but it has to include that. But the opportunity to do fractions, the opportunity to understand percentages, to understand finance, to understand probability, to understand risk, to understand uh, time uh, and to understand value, you know, to understand just i mean this is nothing really that we don't do in life that pervades math so there's two things i think there's you know your life will be easier if you're not stopping to focus on uh the mathematics of it you'll make better financial decisions um, and also your opportunities will be greater if you are able to confidently and competently behave in a mathematical way yeah i think you're absolutely right i often say to my year sixes if you want your choice of jobs when you leave school, then work as hard as you possibly can in maths, because mm. it is, it's the gatekeeper, you know, and I, I've been reading about you know, whether or not it should be the gatekeeper, but what people yeah. always come back to is the fact that it is, and it's, it's very unlikely to change, isn't it? Hmm. I think so. And because, because literacy and mathematics are, you know, the, the two key ways in which we communicate um, and the universe communicates. I think there's a lot around emotional intelligence as well. Uh, I'm, I'm much more interested now in, uh, in things like uh, how children engage emotionally with mathematics, which I don't think is an airy-fairy thing, which maybe I'm guilty of thinking it was before. You know, I think, I think how you engage emotionally with your learning is absolutely crucial. So, yeah, you're, that's great advice for your year sixes. I hope they took it. Yeah, I'm sure sometimes they come back when they're in year eight, and, you know, they're picking up their siblings and they'll talk to me about their algebra tests and stuff like that there anymore. See, I, I prepared you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Algebra is superb. I mean, it is, I, I think it was Caleb Gatenia who famously said, or maybe not that famously, um, you can't, um, you can't understand arithmetic without understanding algebra. You? And, and I think that's really clever. Um, and by understanding algebra, he didn't mean um, how, how to write X cubed over three. Uh, he meant how to think in terms of generalization. And that's why I, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate this year, I've been working with um, uh, nursery to year six on a weekly basis. Every Friday, I teach all of them and I'm knackered by the end, but it's great. And, uh, and you know, the little ones love thinking about billions and, and you know, multiplying a billion by 10 is 10 billion. And I don't really care that they're not entirely clear about place value and uh, <laughs> and columns. And actually columns is not a word I love, but maybe that's for another, interview uh, I'm, I'm rethinking i'm rethinking my thought on column and place value and all that language but um yeah but they you know they love these big ideas and they're excited um they're excited about that and i think we should you know the algebra is an exciting thing let's be honest let's uh, let's show kids structure that's what it's about that's all it's about actually yeah because if you if you look at the structures that go through the national curriculum you know you can yeah. see that that journey of algebra from the very youngest to the oldest so that it doesn't become oh we're in year six let's do algebra you know you've been doing this the whole time i think you're absolutely right you know as, as you mentioned kids and small and large numbers uh, my boys are six and four and they keep mm -hmm. asking me about the most ridiculous size numbers you know how many zeros are in a trillion trillion how many zeros are in a billion 
And I'll say, well, it depends on which part of the world you're in, because in America, <laughs> I think they've got a different number. And so these conversations, I'm actually having to look up different size numbers for them because they're so fascinating. And then, and then like you say, they'll add 2 billion and 3 billion. And <laughs> they love it, don't they? They love it. My, my, my reception used to come in. Um, I had this, like, like once a week, we'd do like a, a session in the school hall. And there'd always be a song and I'd I'd pretend not to notice. So I'd be playing the piano as they came in and and, and going, gosh, I wonder where the you know jellyfish or whatever they're called are. And uh, and that was that was just a trick because that would make them come in really more quietly than they normally do. And then and then I'd look around and go, oh, oh, you're here. And they'd all laugh. And then there'd be hands going up. Well, thumbs, they do thumbs up. And I'd go, yes, and go, I know a big number. And it was like, what's your what's your big number? And, um, two eight two hundred and eighty million and seventy-three. Uh, 10. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's a very big number. I bet no one knows a bigger number than that. And you know, this is right there. And I think, well, uh, actually, I could go, no, I'm sorry, that's not part of today's learning objective. Um, uh, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about that. You just, you know, earn the right to be heard. You know, just just show them. And, and, and we sing a great song every week uh, where they do, they go up to a billion and, you know, they, they count to 100. Uh, and then it and then it keeps multiplying up by ten. It's a fantastic video I've got from uh, YouTube. I can't I can't remember off the top of my head who to credit with it, um, but I can even I can send you the link if you like for the lesson notes or whatever. Uh, and it's good. Just you know, just get them excited. And algebra, as you say, you know, even when a five year old is being asked, okay, so look at these look at these cubes. There's a red one and a blue one, then a red one, then a blue one, then a red one. What do you think the next one's going to be? And that's algebra. I mean, that is literally algebra. It doesn't say so. It, it doesn't appear in any early learning curriculum as algebra, but, but pattern has long been since recognized as a crucial early mathematical idea in the early years. And, and so it should be, yeah. Algebra right from the start. Amen to that. If you had to condense your approach to the teaching of mathematics into a set of guiding principles, what would they be? <laughs> That's just utterly impossible. So um, I made it more impossible by condensing it into one. All right. So here we go. Um, it goes like this. Uh, you know stuff. Now, how can you help someone else to know it? That's it. <laughs> now, I could I could change no to uh, to, to like understand it, you know, uh, I suppose. But but that's effectively it. You know? um, that's my that's my guiding overall approach to the teaching of maths. I mean, it's, you could, you could overcomplicate that, but it's basically, I am in a privileged position because I've been alive longer than you. And so I've been exposed to this thing we call multiplication. You haven't, okay? It doesn't mean I'm cleverer than you. And this is something really interesting, isn't it? People who are good at maths, you assume they're cleverer than, than, than people, or, or I say you, you don't, but, there is a there is a kind of population thing. Oh, you're really clever, and I'm known as Mr. Jeffrey, who's really clever um, at school, which is hilarious to me because uh, if they knew anything about my life and how impossible it is for me to just get to work on time with all the equipment I need and a lunchbox, <laughs> you know, they, they would be. That's how difficult life feels. So um, I'm not cleverer than them. I just know more, and I think there's you have to be you have to be quite humble about your approach to, to teaching. If you if you say, look, I've got some stuff here and I know it, listen carefully and then you will, that's the wrong way. So I, I think it's, uh, do you know what? There's something really exciting and I want to share it with you in the sense of, I want you to be able to do this 
because it would be great because blah 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 that's that's how i look at teaching actually that as a as opening doors for people yeah i think uh, you're, you're potentially doing yourself a disservice and it's only one because i can see so many things coming through there you know for instance the the impact that enthusiasm for a subject and the, and the wanting others to learn you know i think that's that's absolutely crucial um, and it's, it's coming through really strongly there you know because i think if i were to say for instance teach medieval english history i reckon you'd have a very different uh, experience than if i was teaching you know mathematics that kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah but then i think you can transfer that i mean i remember once um i had to, a teacher left mid-year a bit of a, a crisis uh, years ago now and um i was deputy head uh, without a class just teaching maths groups and uh the head said, look, well, can we stick you in there for the second half of the year? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Going, ah, <laughs> it's been a while since I've taught anything but maths. <laughs> what am I going to do? So, and I looked at the next thing in history was um, the Egyptians. And I thought, well, what do I do here? What, you know, how can I take my passion for maths and everything I believe about how it should be taught? How can I transfer that? And I thought, well, what I, what I don't have is the knowledge of the ancient Egyptians. But surely I have everything else. Surely I have the pedagogy and this. So anyway, so long story short, I went into uh, Dorothy Perkins. Um, other uh, uh, ladies' clothing stores are available. And I said, hi, I'm a teacher. Please, can I borrow? And this is, by the way, anyone listening, this is your gateway phrase. Kieran used that word gateway. This is your gateway phrase to more or less anything. Hi, I'm a teacher. Please, can I? And I go, yeah, sure. Quite long story short. Uh, the, the rest of that sentence was um, borrow one of your mannequins. And so I am walking through Brighton. The great thing about Brighton is that nobody bats an eyelid, right? But I'm walking through Brighton with a naked lady on my shoulder um, and uh, <laughs> it put it in the car, took it, uh, took it to the classroom, wrapped it in toilet roll and, and just stuck it in the corner and just waited. And uh, <laughs> just the next morning, the kids came in. Ah, what was that? And it was great. And so I thought, well, now you see, I'll tell you what that is. Um, <laughs> it's my mummy. What? No, 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 not that kind of mummy. And uh, and it's brains. Oh, you know, just so. I guess I'm not. I'm not a talented uh, teacher of history, but I can. I can try and show them that it's worth you know to 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 bring it to life and. And, and I, I also, I mean, this is this is probably rather stupid, but I, I bought lining paper, um, the colour of sand, and I, I lined the entire classroom with it and drew massive, like, fake blocks. And it looked like you were coming into a, an Egyptian tomb, you know, and, and they got into it and they did some great work on the Egyptians. Um, I'm not sure they did much good uh, English or maths or anything else, but bring, bring learning alive for kids. They deserve that. One thing that people listening to this podcast are really keen on is sort of support in their professional development. And so I think they'd be interested to know about how you do your approach planning in maths, you know, over both the long and the short term. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, long term is as depressingly simple because, you know, the law says here is the national curriculum. So that's, that's pretty much long-term planning done. It is, it is just worth uh, stating a couple of things about the national curriculum though. Um, one, and I keep forgetting this, um, <clears throat> but uh, and having to remind myself. So forgive me if if everyone doesn't need reminding of it. But um, it is suggested in year groups. It is mandated in key stages, but it is only suggested in year groups. So if you think, hang on, this year three topic is a bit tough, I might move it to year four, allowing me more time to work on X, Y, Z. Then that's perfectly allowed. 
Um, the problem is there's one classic example which doesn't work, which a year two teachers will all be like nodding at me now. Um, the, the amount of telling time required in year two uh, is in my actually not that humble opinion on this occasion, nonsensical. And uh, for the for the one mark you might get on an assessment, the time the time teachers in year two should spend if they are to fulfil the needs of the measures section uh, of the national curriculum in year two in terms of time could be much much better spent understanding um, partitioning, for example. Uh, so I unfortunately you can't move that to year three. Uh, so my uh, unofficial advice uh, to teachers, because it has to be unofficial, is, okay, pay lip service to that year two stuff on time. The ones that are going to get it will get it, but the ones that are just not ready for it, and actually I believe that's most of them, um, will, will get it in year three, but at least you've given them the chance to, and then you can spend the time on actually more crucial stuff. So um, that's the long term. The other thing about the national curriculum is that um, it's kind of, although it's called the national curriculum, it's not the national curriculum, it's the national topic list. <laughs> okay, um, I think a curriculum is, uh, I write in my notes, it's much more nuanced than Sharon can find the interquartile range of a set of data well done Sharon, okay. Um, but it's, you know, that's that's very tick listy. But actually, if you look, the, the strength of the curriculum because I was, I have been a bit dis, disrespectful of it. The strength of it is the aims, um, and as St. Paul wrote uh, in the in the Book of Romans, uh, these three remain: fluency, reasoning, and problem solving. But the greatest of these is problem solving. I don't think he was; those weren't quite his words. He may have talked about other things, but actually, <laughs> actually, there's the thing. Um, and fluency and reasoning, I I like to describe as the twin engines of the rocket, and the rocket is problem solving. Because why do we study maths at all um, to become problem solvers? And as a species, we are extraordinary problem solvers. I mean, just look at this. Um, look at this species. Uh, uh, you could argue that uh, we cause most of the problems we have to solve, which is a, a much more philosophical argument. But actually, we do. We do solve problems. We solve problems of mobility. We solve problems of health. So we're trying to change our behavior. COVID, look at how we are. Um, trying to manage COVID and some extraordinary people. And without, without getting political at all, some people have made some extraordinary scientific breakthroughs. So, so we're problem solvers. And, and none of these things could happen uh, without mathematics. Uh, and so, but you, you, say, you say to an eight-year-old, like, maths is really important because one day there might be a really big virus or you know, one day we might need to build a big bridge across the water. They're going, really? <laughs> so, um, Fluency, reasoning, and problem solving. Every single lesson, every single lesson should contain some aspect of fluency because that's practice makes permanent and some element of reasoning. I think uh, John Mason, wasn't it, who said, um, you know, if your lesson doesn't contain an opportunity to do some reasoning, it's not a mathematics lesson. And I think that's powerful. But you cannot have fluency and reasoning existing without each other. It's like a tennis match where there's only one person on one side of the court. It just doesn't work. So that's, um, that's what the curriculum is for me. So I think that's the key. I think showing teachers how they can include reasoning in every lesson without it having to be pupils writing out sentences, explaining what they think and why they think. You know, I think if we can do that, then we'll have massive, you know, massive gains in terms of how close to achieving the ambitions. Because 
you know, like you, I, I love the, the aims of the national curriculum. And I think every time I'm working with teachers, I'm trying to get closer and closer to this point where we're realizing as much as we can. I mean, it's what it's about. And I, I think um, I, I, I was in a classroom, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I was in a, excuse me, a classroom in uh, Singapore, observing a, a year six lesson about oh, five years ago now, five, six years ago. And I think I think I may have told this story when you came to the session that uh, you mentioned earlier, but um, uh, they, they were there was a triangle, it was an isosceles triangle, and uh, the two base angles were unknown, and the top angle was 30 degrees. And, uh, and the teacher said, okay, so how do we find um, angle C? All right. Now I kind of tittered because I always think angle C, I can make a, an amusing North Wales joke, but no kid ever gets it, so I should just really give up. But anyway, I was like, okay, let's see what happens. So this child puts his hand up, the teacher gives him the pen, he goes to the board, and he writes 180 minus 30 equals, uh, I thought, oh yeah, good. Yeah, he's going to subtract the hundred, just subtract the thirty, right? And then that gives him the two base angles, and he's going to halve it to get seventy-five. All right, so that's that's kind of a fairly, you know, year six-ish, year seven-ish kind of question. So anyway, he wrote one hundred and eighty minus thirty equals, and then instead of putting one hundred and fifty, he put a dash, and then on the next line he put dash divided by two equals and another dash, and then he sat down. He didn't even bother to do the maths, or, or at least that's what I thought. I thought, oh, you muppet, you've done all the hard work, you haven't done the maths. And I thought, this is quite good, he's going to get told off now. Now, I'm quite comfortable with kids being told off in class, because it was me. For, for my entire career, it was me, so I'm, I thought, I'll sit here. And the teacher turned to me and went, well done, and let's do another one. And I'm like, what? I'm literally, someone smacked me in the head metaphorically. Why are you being kind to him? You know, he's, he's that's arrogant, lazy, disrespectful, he hasn't even bothered. And then it actually did hit me and I just, I, I unusually for me, anyone who knows me, I don't think I spoke for about half an hour. I was like, oh my God, I've met, my whole life has been wrong. <laughs> you know, I've done it wrong. You see, who cares? No one cares that it's 75 degrees. It doesn't matter that it's 75 degrees. It matters that you can, you realize that you need to do 180 minus 30 and the result of that halved. Oh my Lord. And yet, and, I, and I've, I've shown this to teachers, Ever see it. every time I get a chance, and every single one of them has gone, Oh my life, I see what I've been doing. You see, when someone's stuck, you try and help them, right? You go, Okay, well, what do you know about the angles in a triangle? They go, Oh, 180. You go, Okay, so how much is that one? Oh, 30. Okay, so what if you took that away? Oh, and you're doing, you're, you think you're helping, you're doing all the reasoning for them. They're not doing any reasoning. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh my Lord. And, and so I say to teachers, okay, what's the first thing you do? Is it 180 minus 30? And they go, no. Uh, they go, yes, no, the first thing I did was 180 minus 30. And I said, no, that wasn't. That was the third thing you did. And they're like, what? Okay. The first thing you did was imagine this tennis match. Can you imagine this tennis match? So you've got fluency against reasoning. So, so you read the question and then reasoning has to serve, right? Reasoning has to go, oh, okay, you want to know that angle. So the first thing to do is Oh, what would be useful to know how many degrees there are in a triangle? That would be useful to know. And he hits it across the net. To fluency, he goes, I know, it's 180 and hits it back. So, so for, in my head, fluency is two things. Fluency is either fluency of recall or fluency of procedure. Right? Can I do short multiplication if I need to? And do I know when the Battle of Hastings was? <laughs> I know when the Battle of Hastings was. But if I said, uh, and William reigned for another 73 years, when when did he die? I can work it out because I'm I'm fluent enough to do one thousand sixty six plus six seventy three. I just made that up, by the way. Don't ring in. 
Okay, okay. So there's two types of, but then fluency hits it back to reasoning and reasoning goes, well, you know what? We need to take the 30 away from the 180. Bang. Reasoning says, this is what we need to do. And fluency goes, oh, okay, that's 150. So you see, actually it's the third or the fourth thing you did was 181. And, so, and, I, I, and that changed me. That totally changed me. And I thought, blimey, I've been doing this wrong. I haven't been helping you at all. I've been taking away your opportunity to reason. In other words, there has to be struggle. Because if there's not struggle, if you don't have a problem, how do you become a problem solver? I think that, that that's a super example because what it does is it illustrates exactly how much there is going on. And I think if, if we as teachers focus on that, you know, then our pupils are immeasurably better, better served. In terms of how do you take that then into the short term? You know, is there anything, is you, do you have a set process you work through when you're getting ready for, you know, at the moment teaching across lots of different gear groups? Yes, and, and this is a much easier answer because short term, now, okay, here comes controversy, all right? Short term planning, you can't do it in advance. Okay, medium term planning, I know you didn't give me a question, but medium term planning is what, what do I hope will happen in this lesson? All right, that, that's as simple as that. What do I hope will happen in this lesson? Um, but again, I used to plan lessons. I used to plan activities. And again, I've had to rethink as I've got older and, and, and realized how I've got to that level of, what do they call it? Uh, conscious incompetence. Uh, I'm still at that level. I mean, people say there's four phases. I'm still, I'm very conscious of how very incompetent I am. So maybe I'll, you know, that's the second level up of those four. Isn't it? <laughs> but um, but the, I think the, I, I now plan learning. I, I try to plan learning anyway. I don't plan activities. So again, back to that, start with the why. Not, well, I'm going to teach you about uh, how to do this because because blah 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 okay because blah 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 i'm going to teach you how to do this it's just a subtle kind of way of looking at it so i'm medium term planning i'm going to, what am i going to do okay why why am i going to do this what 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 do they not know what um uh, and, and actually noughts and ones the old noughts and one grids i don't know if you do you still do those Kevin? I, I still like those they're time consuming you know you mark a test and you put all the kids down you know column one and all the questions along row one and just put ones and noughts and a, and a row of noughts isn't going to surprise you because you know that kid's struggling. But a, a column of noughts is the really, really useful thing because that says either I haven't taught this well or the question was badly written or they've forgotten it or, or, or. But either way, I know what to do now. OK, um, and so, yeah, medium term planning, I think it's about planning, learning. In other words, what activities will happen, what resources will happen, what conversations will happen. But then short term, okay, short term planning is all about and only about, and this may be quite controversial, it's only about knowing what to do next. That's it. It's, that's it. Assessment. I mean, I, I think it's getting better in schools. People just, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, I think the days of teachers being asked to provide masses and masses of ridiculous data are, let's say, on the wane. <laughs> let's just let's just be cautiously optimistic is that your experience Kevin do you think I definitely think so and um, I am al always warned that it's not everywhere you know and, and that there are still examples of the you know, sort of the, the mid-2000s assessment drive but I do think mm -hmm. I think the, I think the narrative is changing I think there are enough school leaders who have lived through that and don't want their teachers to have to live through it as well 
you know and i think it, it helps us prioritize what assessment is because like you say hmm. assessment for learning is what's happening right there what do i do next and i draw on everything that i know about the curriculum and, and the sequence and stuff i'd forgotten that afl <laughs> assessment for learning like what else is it for it's just a brilliant brilliant phrase i i, I used to in my in my slightly more irreverent days um actually I, maybe i'm not not maybe i'm getting to more river i don't know i'd i'd love to be i'm kind of a slowly becoming more this is what i believe about education and i'm just gonna say it and be damned i mean i'm not a i'm not a mark mccourt level but i'm getting better and and for me afl is one of those stupid things like i and i say yeah okay so today we're going to talk about ffe and i'm talking to teachers like okay what's ffe i got that's food for eating because like, what the heck else is it? Should we just agree to call it food? Hey, let's go and get some food for eating. No, this is assessment, all right? It, as I said, the only, and this is, I know it's controversial, the only, only purpose of assessment, the only reason we should be assessing children is so we know what to do next. And so short-term planning is based on what you see, but also Excel is not your best assessment tool. Your best assessment tool is your ear. I will learn more from listening to a child and asking the child a question than I will from looking at their books. I used to be an inspector and um, I, uh, I, I used to have to do book looks <laughs> and, and loads of you have to do book looks, right? If you, if you lead anything in yours, go do a book look. What can you really tell from a book look? You can tell what a child was trying to do on a particular day and whether they succeeded in worshipping at the temple of the tick or they didn't succeed in worshipping at the temple of the tick and not much else um but if you if you ask a child the best thing was when you were allowed to ask a child show show them their work and say tell me about this now unless it was the work they'd done yesterday or today they didn't have a clue but <laughs> so so you've got to catch i mean this is this is always my management philosophy when i was you know leading uh, in, in school it's like um MBWA managed by walking about and I would try and catch people doing something good and I would do that with teachers and I would do it with kids I go whoa what have you done fantastic you know even if I saw a mistake because some mistakes are brilliant right some mistakes are quality thinking um I have this thing where I fold a piece of paper in half and I and I say well you know, what fraction is that and and they go a half and I fold it again I say how many thicknesses could you see now and they say four and I write one out of four on it and you can see where it's going and I fold it again and quite often you get kids saying it's one out of six now my assessment and this is this is assessment this is short-term planning because from experience I know they'll say it but also I an experience is just that just comes but also I think that's a brilliant answer don't you because that's algebraic pattern solving you know that we talked about earlier so yeah I I, I can't really add to that just short-term planning is just listening being in the moment asking the right questions and yeah your ear absolutely fundamentally so it's really easy short-term planning just go in and listen and see what they're doing sorry that's that's probably not what initial teacher training uh instructors will be they'll be pulling out their hair at that answer but i that's i'm afraid that's what i've learned <laughs> i think that's spot on and essentially anyone who's listening who is a, a beginning teacher or, or wants to get better at teaching maths you know you just have to do that 15 16 years in a row and <laughs> you eventually get to the, the point of efficiency <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry about that yeah <laughs> now I suppose, you know you mentioned mark mccord you know anything worth doing 
is going to be tricky enough, isn't it? So I think it's, it's worth the effort in the long run because, you know, I certainly get a joy out of being able to react in the moment. You know, there's almost like, you know, uh, a sense of well-being. I don't know, our self-esteem is sort of linked to the fact that I can, I can deal with this challenge, you know, even though it might seem desolate in the moment when, you know, Jimmy can't understand, you know, the, the subtraction of, of like fractions or whatever, you know. So I, I think that's really powerful, you know, both for leaders and for, for teachers. You have worked with many schools over the course of your career. What three things have you learned that really stay with you as you continue your journey? Wow. Okay. I've, I've had the great privilege of working in schools, not literally all over the world, but in, in let's say, Europe and Asia uh, and Africa, actually. And, um, and in all of them, I've found something similar. I mean, whether, you know, whether they've got technology, which, you know, some have, some haven't, whether they've got actually toilets, which some have, some haven't, you know, that's, you know, uh, whether they've got rich kids or poor kids, whether they are, you know, independent or state, is that all children are able to learn mathematics, all children. Now, the caveat is children who have obviously a physical brain injury. Some, you know, obviously there are children who, who can, but, but actually the vast majority of children are capable of greater depth. And I got, I got quite angry when, um, I shouldn't really get angry about these things, but I, let's say passionate, it sounds less, you know, up myself, but I, I, I got so passionate when it, like, and we started talking, people started talking about their, their greater depth children. Well, I mean, I, I don't know where to start with that. <laughs> you know, um, it's, uh, it reminds me of a time I went to work at a, uh, a primary school in uh, Hastings. I was doing some uh, contracting work for the LA and I went in and I said, look, hi, I'm here for the day. Um, I'm here to work with whoever you'd like. Uh, what would you like me to do? And uh, <laughs> this, this is a few years back. You'll realize why that's important. And the, uh, the teacher said, oh, wonderful. It was the math. She said, um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind spending the morning with our four Bs. And I thought, my first thought was, what a pathetically small hive and that is. <laughs> you know, until, until, until I realized what, what he was saying. Now, if I tell you that this was uh, the month of April, all right, uh, so imminent sat, you'll realize what was going on there. Um, and what a horrendous label that teacher and many, many teachers had felt pressured into having to put on children and so I know there were mixed feelings when we got rid of levels and and sub levels which are utter fantasy I'm sorry I'm saying that there is no such thing as sub levels I'm just putting that out there um but but they were just made up things but our four B's how horrible I mean oh I know what he meant and I know that he wanted those children to just nudge over some imaginary line to become four a's or i don't i don't know it, it just was horrible and once we lost that people panicked and went oh no how how will we ever assess children again and and the answer is just listen to them you know just find where they are on a continuum of this idea so but no no that wasn't enough so now we have lower <laughs> we have our lowers and our highers i mean really just i don't know I, I just, I struggle with that. Faster graspers is better, but lower, why are you lower? I mean, that's a horrendous thing. And then we completely mixed, mixed up our metaphor by saying, 
Well, the higher ones can go deeper. Just think about that, folks. Uh, just think about your altitude language. So the higher ones are going deeper than the lower ones. How does that even begin to make any sense at all? So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it reminds me when I was in Dubai once um, and uh, I was working, doing, doing a, a thing, I can't remember, it's a conference, I think, for some teachers, maybe some, some Numicon training or something like that. And I had some time to kill and I went next door just for a walk and next door to our hotel was a massive hole in the ground. I mean, a huge hole in the ground, the size of seven or eight houses. Uh, and I said to them, there's always a looker, isn't there? Whichever country you go to, there's always a looker leaning over the hole. He's in charge. Or she's in charge. Uh, I said, what are you building? Our hotel. Hotel It's going to be uh, like, like this one, but much bigger. They're very, my hotel's bigger than your hotel <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Middle East. And, um, and I said, oh, really, really high, is it? He went, yes. And I thought I'd be funny, never try and be funny at the best of times, but also in a foreign country. And I went, um, but aren't you going in the wrong direction? And he looked at me like, um, like what? <laughs> and he's just like, no, that's the foundations. I went, oh, okay, yeah, okay, uh, thank you. And just walked off wishing the ground would swallow me up. Anyway, I, I, I thought well, you absolute idiot, but it did make me laugh, um, my failed attempt to be humorous. Because it reminds me that actually the way, the way to go higher is to start going deeper. Don't wait till you're at the top. No one builds the foundations at the end. You've got seven builders, Kieran, right? You've got seven builders. Each one is building one of the six floors or the foundation of your building. Where do you put your best builder, all right? And that's, that's an that's a, a argument I've always made for uh, making sure that teachers in the foundation stage are brilliant math teachers. Not, they're not there because they're too scared of year six maths. They're there because they, they really understand what maths is. So basically, everyone can learn maths. That's, that's the first thing I have kind of learned about wherever you are in the world. If you're given the opportunity, you can succeed in learning maths. That's the first one. Does that, does that make sense? Perfect sense. Um, and as you're talking, I'm thinking of so many you know, different experiences. Like, for instance, whenever I started my current role, one of the things I was doing was talking to people about the language we used, you know, so in the staff room, having conversations about the fact that all pupils could attain well. And, you know, and it was essentially our responsibility. There's, um, there's some work that Professor Lulu Healy at King's did with blind children in Brazil. Mm. And she was showing how deep their mathematical and their geometric understanding could go. And I think she's done a lot, I think in general, pupils with disabilities. And this was at them... BCME 9 back in 2018 and I remember she was trying to give us the experience of being someone with a physical disability and, and it, it was like I was like you know mouth on the floor I was like oh my goodness you know that you know if these pupils who are profoundly disadvantaged you know potentially by location and by having a physical disability you know can achieve then really you know we should be setting our expectations as high as possible for those people who aren't disadvantaged in the same in the same way mm, that's that's really powerful yes i remember bcm 18 that's uh that was um oh, warwick ed something like that um yeah, it was, yeah i remember going there I, I didn't go to that session which is a shame that sounds really really good but yeah absolutely totally agree that you know we give them the opportunity we put the conditions in place they can learn that's the, that's the crucial first thing you want you wanted three I have two others. Okay, <laughs> so I think um, the other two are less about the children and more about a kind of reflection. I am I am cursed to be, um, I, I, I don't know, 
I don't know quite how to describe it, but I am almost painfully reflective and unforgiving um, of everything I do. I cannot, I'm not happy with anything that's 99% good, which is an awful thing and a very unwise thing. And I don't, I don't really recommend it. So, um, so here's my next point. No one is brilliant at everything. Right? Not even the person who you thought was brilliant at everything, that kind of annoying friend of yours that sails through life. You know, no one is brilliant at everything. And I, I think it's very liberating to get to the stage where you can go, I've just taught a terrible lesson. You know what? I've just, you know, unless you're saying that all the time and it's true, then in which case you need some support. But if your lesson goes badly, then, you know, say so to yourself. But more importantly, forgive yourself. I say that as a work in progress. Um, I, I'm not very good at taking my own advice. Uh, but no one's brilliant at everything. Not every lesson will go well. Not every social interaction will go well. Um, not every teaching and learning episode will go well. Not every worksheet will be appropriate. But you know what? Give yourself a break, please. That's so important. And if I listen back to this podcast, I will smile and nod and go, okay, Andrew, I'll try and take that advice. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I'm not so great in my... You know, in the classroom, I've got better at thinking about my practice and making changes. You know, and I understand that's part of the process. But when it's things that are just a little bit further removed, you know, like like you say, interactions with people and conversations that I have in a professional capacity. I'm all, well, I wish I'd said that or I wish I hadn't talked as much. And, you know, I overanalyze my behavior to, the, to a degree that's not healthy. You know, so I, I'm going to try mm. and take your advice as well. <laughs> Yeah, you are who you are. And, you know, you've, you, you are only and can only ever be uh, the product of the experiences you've had and the conversations you've had. I, th I think I think it's particularly important, you know, because social media amplifies, you know, you get the best version of other people. And, you know, I think the more people who are sharing things that have gone wrong, you know, then the, the, the better our listeners will be served in terms of, you know, it's OK. You know, the was it I say the universe is like um, 13, 14 billion years old. A bad lesson hasn't ruined it yet, so <laughs> touch one, that won't be the case. <laughs> oh, that's superb. No, that is that is true. Yeah, social media is a dangerous one. I I often get into debates because I I I really do kind of hang myself out there, actually positive and negative. And I, lots of people are very professional on Twitter. They'll only tweet about their work. I I I don't I can't do that because. I was I was doing a, a session with someone the other day about uh, work life balance, and I said there's no such thing. All right, there's no such thing. That's that's the wrong Venn diagram. Okay, um, work is a subset of life, uh, and as long as life isn't a subset of work, you're okay. You know, it's it's not work life balance at all. You, your life is. I mean, my life is. We, we talked about football. You know? <laughs> my life is about sport. My life is about my family. My life is about my faith. My life is about trying to give people a better experience than I had in a classroom. My life's about seeing things that are funny and commenting on that. My life's about admitting when I've gone wrong or celebrating success. And yeah, social media isn't that good at that. I mean, Twitter's okay. I think we see some people who um, are very honest. I won't mention any names, but I know a lot of people who are who struggle with mental health, as I do, and uh, and they're pretty honest about that on Twitter. I, I know other people got in touch with me privately and gone, thank you for sharing that you have, you know, issues with around depression and stuff. Um, thank you for being honest. But then I thought, if I if that's all I ever did on on Twitter, who'd want to follow that, right? So, so I think, yeah, be be who you want to be, but be honest about who you are, and and be honest about the breadth of who you are. I think that's crucial. 
the conversation around mental health is is definitely improving. And I think the you know the more people who are, you know, it takes a lot of bravery to to be as open and honest as as you have been. And I think, um, but it can't be overstated because there will be people who are sitting watching and taking you know taking heart from the fact that they're not the only one going through stuff like that. So I think you know it can't be overstated. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I see bravery is a word people use a lot and I don't I don't feel brave I just, I just think it's integrity I just yeah I, I, I just I don't know maybe, maybe other people see it as brave so maybe it's not my decision not my call but I, I'm I accept it as a nice thing to say but I I don't feel brave I'm talking about it so I think the third thing Kieran is I've learned this over the years and it's taken me a bit of time. And I think, I think a lot of professional conversations would be radically improved um, between adults and between uh, adults and children is this simple principle that I've, I've tried to um, try to kind of espouse, which is just earn the right to be listened to whoever you are. Now, some people have a great reputation and people will go a long way to listen to them and that's great but you know just your job isn't you you know just because you are the head teacher doesn't mean it means you have some authority of me but it doesn't mean you're a, a better human than me um, and just because I'm a teacher doesn't mean that I'm a better human than you as a child quite the reverse often I find in my case but earn the right to be listened to and the way you do that is by um, studying your subject studying your pedagogy learning about your children and being interested in them and caring what happens to them. That's all you need to do. Um, we've all been, I'm sure you've been to many, many events where you hear someone give a talk and, and it feels like they're not even really engaging with you. You know, they're, they're just giving the slides that they've given a million times. Now, um, I've, I'm actually asked, funny enough, you mentioned the talk that I gave that you saw me at 10 years ago. That was a talk I'd had to give quite a few times. But you make sure that you find out who's in the room. Have some respect. Why should I listen to you? You know, uh, because you only have a few seconds. I do. I love doing um, keynote talks. I'm, I'm one of those weird people who is less scared talking to 200 people than to 20. I find 20 intimidating, but I find 200 stimulating and I can feed off that energy. But but they within 30 seconds have decided whether they should give me their time or check their emails and we're all kind of like that however much we think we're not and you know if some of them go oh that's so and so I'll give you know I, I want to hear what they've got to say and I don't show that I'm interested in them why should they listen to me same as children all right so anyone who's just starting to teach remember that what you're teaching is children not maths uh, and when you're engaging with your uh, colleagues, uh, your superiors or people who report to you, remember that you're, a, you're engaging with a human being who has a value that is at least equal to yours. And she, it, it sounds a very simple thing, but earn the right to be heard is, I, I think, a really transformative uh, paradigm. Yeah. Like I say, I, what, what do we say? Brilliant maths. I, I, we, I knew you were doing the same talk at one of the online maths comps and because of the investment you put into it and because you know you invest in your audience you know I, I had no qualms about going to both because I knew that <laughs> a, you know you, I can hear I can see it here talk 
and come away with something completely different. But but like I say, you know, because you can you can see that permeating through the way you speak and the way you present and things. You know, you care about being there, and you give it a hundred percent, and you know, that that totally comes through. I think what I'll be doing is, you know, because you've, essentially you've distilled twenty years of experience into into three points. I'll, I'll be revisiting this as I get older and sort of asking myself, did I take that that advice on on board, or you know, and do or do I need to act on it? going forward well you strike me as a pretty thoughtful and humble bloke if i may say so so i suspect uh, i suspect you already do that <laughs> i'd be very surprised if people who knew you didn't think that you were someone who did earn the right to be heard kieran if i may say so <laughs> <laughs> that's too kind i first met you when you were delivering a workshop on the singapore bar model what do you think we can learn from the way they approach or teach mathematics in singapore yeah, that's a great question. So I um, I was fascinated by Singapore uh, actually long before I went there because I, I was you know, like a lot of people. I was interested in the hype. You know, what is going on there? Um, and I think before I answer, um, I've, I've got three three points. But before I before I say, can I just say there's a caveat to this, which is that their scenario is very different. So um, their kids are a year older. So their year one kids are a year older than our year one kids which is kind of slightly conveniently forgotten. Also, the, the, um, the setting in which they're in, uh, the, the, the amount of planning time that teachers have, the amount of collaboration time that teachers have, the amount of the, the type of training that teachers have is very different from ours. Um, and uh, I, I used to say this uh, quite a lot. Um, I'm not sure how appropriate it is, but I say it anyway, my wife's got a beautiful red dress and uh, when she puts it on, I think she looks stunning. Um, but you know, but when I put it on, uh, it's you know, it's, it's not quite the same uh, effect. Now, obviously, that's not true, but I just say so because it just makes the point that you we, we must be careful of assuming we can transplant something from Singapore or uh, Shanghai. When I say Shanghai, I mean a very small, selected, successful group of schools in Shanghai. But let's not go there um, and expect it to work here. Just like um, when I was in Africa, I thought, well, you know, there's no point me showing them um, this, you know, this really good website that they could use. You know, they they actually need a sink first of all. You know, uh, so um, yeah, so that's the first. So actually, let, let's not assume we can take something and just plonk it on someone it was never designed for. However, having said that, I think the top three things are possibly um, aspiration, and I, I think we've rather lost sight of aspiration in that. Um, we are in this country. Now, this is this is going to be very controversial. Um, we're so good at supporting um, the, the the sort of children who we say have you know special needs, and uh, we're so good at we, we've built up such an enormous skill set that, that we're quite proud of it. And we dare I say it, attached to it. And actually, um, I, I I just wonder whether if we started to believe earlier that everyone could succeed. Um, and have higher aspirations for our children as uh, whether we're parents or teachers I think that's one thing they have got hugely high aspiration now again we can go too far with that um, you know for example I was in um, sounds like I'm place dropping sorry but I'm just trying to draw up experiences but in um, in South Korea in Seoul uh, teenage suicide is is very high and part of that is if you don't get into the right nursery, you won't get into the right primary school. If you don't get into the right primary school, you won't get into the right secondary school. 
dot 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 university dot 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 job at samsung you know and and so i think we we've got to be careful when i say aspiration i don't mean pressure um and i remember having a conversation with oh, years ago it might have been michael tidd wonderful headmaster down here in sussex uh, on and uh, i obviously uh, as as is the danger with twitter failed to Im explain my the nuance of my thing and i was talking about aspiration as a class thing and um and i said you know we should aspire to be the best and he said well what if somebody wants to be a baggage handler a gatwick what's wrong with that and i thought oh good point but actually my answer was that's brilliant but as long as he aspires to be the best baggage handler gatwick has ever seen you know that's what aspiration is it's not all it's not all this you know rather you know when the inspirational people come and take assembly in your school and go i'm an astronaut and i've been to the moon and if you work hard enough you could be anything you want and i go no no, that's not necessarily true. I'd love to be an astronaut, for example, and I work hard. <laughs> you know, I'd love to be a billionaire footballer, but I'm neither of those things. You know, so it's not true. Um, but so aspiration, I think, is is a really important point. They have got terrific aspiration, and and they work hard to achieve. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is uh, the collaboration. Uh, they they plan together, and some of our schools do that, um, and uh, and some don't. And I, I, whenever I work with schools who have more than one form entry, um, I try and dissuade them from saying, oh yeah, I plan the maths, uh, she plans the literacy. Uh, you know, actually, um, I can see why you do that. But I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that collaborative planning is better. I'll tell you now, any lesson that I've ever planned on my own um, would have been much better if I planned it with someone else. I just, I just know that, okay. And that's, and, and in isolation, it's harder to improve. Um, and the third thing is, uh, I think many, many schools now. If you, if you go and say, um, do you know what CPA is? Um, almost all teachers, I think now, will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what CPA, is, concrete pictorial understanding. And, and I think Singapore have had a huge influence on us. Now, I don't want to give them the credit for that. For example, the bar model. Uh, wasn't invented in Singapore. <laughs> um, they uh, they didn't invent uh, Dean's blocks. Funny enough, that was Zoltan Dinesh. <laughs> you know, um, they don't claim to have uh, invented this stuff, but they do claim to have put it together. Concrete pictorial abstract. However, um, I have I've lost count of the number of schools who do what I call slightly irreverently. They're taking the P, and what I mean by that is they think they're doing CPA because they'll they'll move some pneumocon shapes around and then they'll write five plus six equals 11 uh, or they'll or they'll put some uh you know uh, tens and units out in year two and they'll write uh there we go 21 plus 32 equals, that's c that's ca so my my caveat on that one is cpa is brilliant and a fantastic legacy from what we've learned but actually don't forget the picture don't forget the pictorial aspect it's like the bridge it's like the bridge between the uh, abstract language of mathematics and the concrete experience of uh, of doing things. So that would be the thing. Yeah, CPA, I think, has been a, a big gift. I love that taking the taking the P, you know, because one of the yeah. things we, we talk about a lot is meaningful mark making as, mm. as that as that sort of the P. Um, and so, you know, I think it's quite natural to draw base 10 equipment. I'm much more interested in things that make sense to the pupils and, and the reason, you know, just like our reception teachers will do. And they will, you know, they'll mark tins and they'll show how many with whatever sort of shape or design they want. You know, it's mm. getting our pupils to that point where, like you say, they can they can use that bridge, they can build a bridge and then they can use it to get from, from where they are to where we want them to be. 
we, we need to reclaim Sultan Dinesh and Dinesh equipment because I, I avoid, <laughs> yeah, so anyone who's eagle-eyed readers of Thinking Deeply About Primary Mathematics will notice that I avoided using, I, I used base 10 equipment uh, because I don't want, you know, Dinesh doesn't get said enough, but I think this is the moment in time where we need to change the narrative. Okay, so we're starting the uh, Zoltan Dinesh Appreciation Society. Uh, that sounds good. That sounds good to me. I'll tell you a funny story. I was on a, in a taxi and um, the, the the usual, you know, to the airport. Oh, what do you do? Where are you going? Oh, okay. Where are you from? Hungary. Oh, there's a very famous mathematician from Hungary. Oh, what's his name? Uh, I said, oh, Dean, Zoltan uh, Dean. He went, Deans? No, I know here. You must have heard of him. He's famous. How do you spell? D-I-E-N-E-S. Oh, Dinesh! Dinesh, yeah! So <laughs> I was put in my place by my uh, taxi driver there. And also, of course, he didn't just focus on base 10. He knew that, that you know, it, it wasn't anything to do with 10. Um, I always make the terrible dad joke that um, <laughs> uh, it's all about the base, you know, that song. Uh, it's not about the 10 at all. It's about the base. It's about the multiplicative relationship between columns. But that's that's for another session altogether, I'm sure. <laughs> I think your um, your experience and what you've taken from, from Singapore definitely matches up with sort of some of the ideas that I, because one of the things that really stands out is, like you said, it's, it's almost this microcosm in which the way it's been built allows it to be as sort of relatively successful as it as it appears. And once you once you take parts out, you know, you do have to be very careful. And but I, I think mm. one of the things I try to do is create my own microcosms where we've got a lot of the things that we have decided are important and then see if we can create the conditions in which teachers, like you say, can plan together and mm. have those conversations. Because, you know, if you've got a teacher who's been teaching 25 years and they've done year three inside out well the best person to talk to when you're planning for year three is that teacher because they will have they'll have thought all the thoughts that you're about to think over the next 25 years you know and i, and I think you, you've hit the nail on the head you you miss that if someone does the maths and if someone does the the english yeah i couldn't agree more i think also the other thing i i don't know if you've if you've taught from other people's lesson plans um i have and i'm rubbish at it because because what what's in my head as i'm writing a plan is not going to be what's in yours you know as you read the plan um it's like you're know, like a novel you know you you write a story and i read it in my way so that's another reason i think to plan together yeah it actually crossed my mind as you were saying it because in either at the start of my career i did a really bad job of actualizing what someone had planned or towards the end you know more recently i'll just ignore it and oh i've taught this before this is what i'll do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure which is better <laughs> <laughs> so what advice do you have for teachers who aren't confident in their teaching of mathematics but want to be oh um yeah so it's all about your own professional development i think a couple of things we've already covered um firstly uh, accept that it's okay not to be yet i think that's a really important thing um you know whether it was a long time ago or whether it took you five attempts you do have a GCSE or an O-level, uh, probably a GCSE, in, in maths. So you have been able to do that in the past. So um, that's if you're not confident about your level of mathematics. But if you're, if you're not confident about your actual ability to deliver mathematics, then um, professional development is your answer. There's a number of ways to do this. I mean, the first way uh, you've already done, 
okay, because you started listening to thinking deeply about primary mathematics with Kieran Mackle. So you, you know that's that's your number one thing to do. <laughs> um, but actually, there are lots of uh, lots of uh, podcasts you could listen to. Um, team teach. Do you? Some of you have the opportunity to team teach. Some of you are in one form entry schools, uh, and don't. Um, Twitter. Now, be careful on Twitter. Twitter is a wonderful place. Um, but like any relationship, it can be quite nasty. Um, judicious use of mute. Um, but Edu Twitter is a wonderful place. It is, despite what people will say, an overall friendly place. Um, my my very very um, controversial advice is only follow people who uh, who admit who they are, okay? Uh, because they are going to think twice about what they say. Um, yeah, uh, local networks. Now there are lots of local networks. You might be, um, you might be just friends. Facebook have groups for teachers. I'm on a, I'm on a Facebook group for uh, primary math teachers. Uh, there's even one called Primary CPD, I believe. Uh, I'm on a Facebook group book for Year Five and Six teachers. Um, go to events, go to conferences. Uh, I'll tell you the really good thing at the moment is with online. Um, a lot of the anxiety that people like me and others feel around going to conferences um, is. Oh, what is the word mitigated by the fact that you can sit in your house with your camera off and take notes and attend a conference that way. Um, maths hubs, if your school uh, takes part with a maths hub, um, again, just watch out. I mean, maths hubs, they, they do put on some excellent stuff. They, they can only put on what's government approved. Um, obviously some of that's great. I'm, I'm actually delivering a program myself this year. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna diss that, but just, just be aware um, who is paying for the training you're going on? That's a general thing about anything in life. Okay, um, yeah, those those are kind of my main uh, my main tips. I think so. My first tip is uh, don't worry and and well done for wanting to be. Okay, uh, it probably will surprise you to know that um, Kieran and I uh, aren't always confident in our teaching of mathematics, but want to be. Uh, we've just taken that to the extreme. Uh, you know, the the best teachers are the teachers who think they can they can be better. And so if you think you can be better, you're already a good teacher. Put it that way. That's, there you go. That should encourage you a bit. Also, oh, I've got a newsletter. I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm so passionate about education. I forget that. Actually, um, every month I put out a newsletter. It's completely free. It always will be. It comes out on the first of every month. Um, and it has things like, um, here's some resources I've made, um, many of which are free, some aren't. Um, here's a great website I found. Here's a lovely lesson idea I discovered. Um, for example, um, I believe, Kieran, this podcast is going out sometime in uh, September. Is that correct? Okay, so um, in the August newsletter, my most recent one, you will have you <laughs> you'll be able to see a story of my son and I playing uh, football down by the beach, and um, we decided that we get a hundred points for. Uh, was it 100 points for a goal but we'd lose 10 points if it went in one of the smaller goals and we'd lose 50 points if it went out and we ended up having a great laugh playing football and doing place value and he made up all the rules which is great so um yeah so i have a newsletter it's free um feel free to uh, get it uh go to andrewjeffrey.co.uk excellent i think that's great advice i really like the online aspect of cpd for for example I was always really worried about going to maths confs because of the fact that there were lots of secondary teachers mm. and, you know, it's, it's just naturally intimidating, you know, to have experts in, you know, in, you know, certainly the subject content, you know, relative to my own experience and own knowledge. 
and I probably would have been more reluctant and it would have taken a lot longer to get involved had it not been, the, I think it was MassCop 23 was online. Because okay. since then I've spoken to three of them and that yeah. wouldn't have happened unless hmm. I'd seen that actually everybody's here really friendly, you know, like Johnny and Stuart and all the guys who run it, you know, they're just part of a big community that want to talk about teaching maths and they respect hmm. primary teachers as much as we respect secondary teachers. And, you know, I think that's a big, a big plus we've got. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I've only spoken at two math comps um, and the last one was an utter disaster. But, you know, um, as Kipling said, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Uh, I, I was doing a session on um, uh, how to make math videos using just PowerPoint, which is an incredible tool for making math videos for your classroom. Um, but uh, it wouldn't let me share my screen, which is kind of important when you're showing how to build a PowerPoint. So, so um, I, I kind of had to point a webcam, like get a webcam and point it at my laptop, which is, uh, which is disastrous. But people stuck with it. And, uh, and in the end, I spent all night making a, a non-live version. So, you know, I guess the moral is these things will happen. You know, stuff will happen. Uh, but get over it. Like you said, the universe is a few billion years old stuff you don't, don't sweat the small stuff <laughs> yeah i thought you did really well to persevere because you know it's a really intense box you're in because you don't know what everybody else is doing you know but i think like you say everyone stuck around they were on your side and my interpretation of the need is that the content you were going to cover would have been really important for a lot of teachers because i remember whenever i first started teaching being asked how to change the batteries of the SIM card on the digital camera. And so if you can take teachers to that next level in terms of, oh, like here's PowerPoint that we know how to use. How, did, how can we make that, you know, for, to show our parents how, how we do maths and to show our parents what, you know, what, 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 what is the bar model? What's this thing mm -hmm. we're using in school? I think, you know, massively important and, you know, super job to get it out so quickly. Was it the next day? Was it the end? It was very early the next day. Yeah, I finally put it to bed, thanks to. But the, the irony is um, I, I put it together in Camtasia um, which is just just uh, piece of software, which allows you to zoom to certain bits of the screen at a time in and out. And so actually it probably came out better. The only thing it didn't have was the kind of interactive adrenaline fueled energy, but I tried to put that, but yeah, so it probably is probably a better workshop. You can probably still check it out actually guys on the maths. If you went to MathsConf, it's still there um, free. Um, if you didn't go to MathsConf, you can still get it from my website on the webinar page. There we go, small advert. I'm getting better at that, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll make sure I stick in a, a link to that on, oh, the, on the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. The um, se second CPD session this year, chat on Teams stopped working for me. And I was asking people to share their work, on, you know, because we're all yeah. different rooms. And I, I ended up, like, like you did, recorded it and then incorporated their examples because we totally lost the collaborative right. aspect. And um, just because at that time, the computer, the hardware couldn't keep up with what teams wanted to do. So, you know, I, I feel uh, European. <laughs> yeah, but these things will happen, you know. I mean, God, when we learned to teach, there was no interactive whiteboard. It was a whiteboard or a blackboard or a green board or whatever, you know. It's just these things happen. So, yeah, you, 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 you yeah. roll with it. And I remember the, the acetate oh. and, and getting ink all over your hands oh, and stuff. Yeah, but the OHPs, you could do so much with those. <laughs> hey, welcome to the retro podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you if you miss this you'll be able to buy the cassette from Woolworths after the broadcast <laughs> so the next one this was it lends itself to practicing getting better at advertising you know the great work you've done and shared 
what are your three favorite resources on andrewjeffrey.co.uk? <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I think probably the ones I feel most passionate about are, um, uh, we talked about greater depth earlier. Um, my, my book, Greater Depth in Primary Mathematics, uh, whose introduction states there is no math gene. You know, so if you if you don't believe that, this is not the book for you. But if, if you if you want some strategy, it goes into the five different met psychological approaches that children uh, tend to uh, go into once they're faced with you asking a math problem, uh, and then it and then it comes up with some strategies for uh, for managing all of those. I mean, nothing nothing very highbrow. Things like um, you know, never ever accept an answer in a math lesson to a question that does not contain the word because. Um, you know, so I mean, obviously, I think if it's you know, what's three times five, I'd accept 15, but <laughs> but generally speaking, anything more complicated than just a simple recall, yeah. So it's just just, just strategies like that. So that, I really like that book. Um, yeah, <laughs> I hardly ever sell any of these, but they make me smile. Uh, mugs with amusing uh teacher phrases on. So, uh, my current favorite is um, uh, you're on mute, and then underneath, um, excellent. So that's uh, I, I think I've sold getting on for nearly two of those now. So that's obviously a very popular uh, joke mug. Um, <laughs> so that's just to keep teachers smiling. But I, I guess I'd have to say that currently um, I'm most passionate about my year three project. Uh, as we sort of said at the beginning, um, I think year three have been seriously disadvantaged because of what they may or may not have missed out in Key Stage One. So um, after a conversation with um, an advisor from a, um, uh, an LA in, uh, in Gloucestershire, actually, uh, she sort of pointed out to me how uh, sort of the beginning of the summer, how year three were, were in danger uh, of, of having missed out. And you know the jump, right, from year two into key stage two is, I mean, any, any year three teacher who's taught year two must go, oh, you know, or any math subject lead who, who compares must do the same. So, so I thought, okay, what can I do? Can I do something that would actually help? So I, I have written, and uh, by the time this goes out, <laughs> we'll have finished a, a massive project. So it's a five-week project of 25 maths lessons aimed at making sure everyone is ready to start in year three. So you're an inspiration to countless teachers. What I'd really like to know is who are your sources of inspiration? <laughs> I don't know. I, I struggle with being called that, but uh, thank you. It's nice of you to say. Who am I supposed to? Okay. Um, loads. I've got so many, all for different reasons. I'll start with two people I actually know. All right. So um, one, one is um, my, uh, my mentor, actually, my friend and mentor, who is uh, Lynn McClure. I've known her for, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. And yeah, she's just a very wise and kind and actually those are the two most important things about anyone <laughs> um but that, yeah she's wise and kind that that's and I, I think those those qualities should be uh, valued above many many others and she's just guided me she said you know because I, I i have a, a very cool fun like semi-serious sideline which is uh, as a magician and i have the the original magic of math show 
which has been going for years, long since people thought it was a good idea to do Magic Monday. And, uh, and I said, I don't want to be doing this for all this shit. Well, you need to start going out to conferences and doing things that aren't magic. Because everyone invites you to conferences because they love seeing some magic, right? But actually, start doing stuff that isn't. And so that was a top tip. And it's led to a fantastic career. So just, yeah. And she's been a friend. She's guided. She's on the committee of um, Maths Week England. Um, she runs Cambridge Mathematics now. Um, and yeah, so she's she's inspired me. Um, uh, my first mentor, actually, even before Lynn, was Jenny Pennant, who I think uh, is also from that area. Uh, and she, when I joined um, Beam, she was a great guide in what good CPD looked like. So I have a lot of influence. There. The third person I actually know uh, is my old housemaster at school called Colleen Morris, which is an amazing name. His full name was Breton Tate Colleen Morris. I, I kind of alluded earlier to my kind of crappy uh, childhood. And, um, and at the age of 14, I was an utter mess. Uh, I mean, utter mess and uh, couldn't cope with anything. Still didn't have any idea I had learning difficulties, just, just had difficulty learning uh, and or behaving. And he, he believed in me. He showed with a gentleness and a kind of moral fiber that he believed in me. Even when he punished me, he managed to make it very clear that this was just for that offense and not anything that he thought about me. He, he had an amazing, um, strong Christian faith, which I think, I think, I, I suspect, I've never thought about this out loud actually, I think, the way he treated me, oh gosh, I'm quite emotional, sorry. I think the way he treated me has influenced how I've tried to treat the, the, the pupils that I have met since, I think. So I'm hugely grateful to him. People I've never met, um, people I've never met. I mean, there's so many. We, we, we've mentioned one of them already, Zoltan Dinesh, the, the, uh, uh, the amazing, and he, he just, sees and or saw i should say he saw something in math so he's the guy who created um the chips and peas that we all use in year two to teach tens and ones right my my tens are actually yellow and my ones are green which is fabulous okay in my kit um he invented that he invented it in lots of different he got mathematics in a way that i think i can so relate to i mean really relate to i think he's an absolute inspiration if you can get any books by him please get them if you can't, um, I'll send you mine. Honestly, he's just a wonderful inspiration about playing with maths, understanding maths. Okay, um, who else? Uh, Jerome Bruner, very, very similar. His, uh, his theory of CPA has massively transformed the way I uh, think. And also he made me realize, reading Bruner made me realize that um, uh, it's not a journey from C to P, to a it's not a train journey with three stops um it's a ripple and and I, I talk about that a lot so so i'm so he's inspired me um to be a better teacher people who've inspired me to be a better human um are extraordinary people like uh, for example this will surprise you david beckham <laughs> i'm not a man united fan um and i wasn't a david beckham fan particularly when he you know kicked out got a red card yada 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 but I think how he reacted after that, um, I, I think is hugely respect. I mean, it's worthy of huge respect, sorry. So uh, I have a phrase now, which is um, 
I have a saying, which I think is original with me, um, but you know, no doubt if someone searches famous quotes, they'll find that I've just nabbed it. But basically it's this, um, um, do not judge me by my mistakes for they are many. Judge me only by my response to them. And, uh, and he, I know for a fact, used to stay behind after training um, with Eric Cantona to practice free kicks. And I remember thinking how inspiring that was just because of all the people that didn't need to practice free kicks, you know, it would be him. Um, and I, I proudly tell kids, if I'm feeling mischievous, I proudly tell kids, you know what? Let me tell you the difference between me and David Beckham. Guess which one of us has missed more free kicks? <laughs> and, and the delicious answer is David Beckham, of course. And, and because he's taken more, <laughs> you know, he's not afraid to miss. And I, and I think that tells me something about um, struggling uh, with, whether it's with maths, as many of our pupils do, and in some sense should, or, or life, you know, as I do, uh, due to various issues, you know, it, it's okay. It's absolutely okay. I, I forget who it was that said fail better, but I find him inspiring for that. Um, who else? Uh, oh, um, okay, so Gideon. Uh, uh, Old Testament. I mean, I, I was thinking, oh, should I say Jesus? And I thought, well, I could because I find it very inspiring. But actually, I find Gideon even more inspiring because um, Jesus knew his mission and never swerved from it. Uh, Gideon, on the other hand, who is <laughs> a bit of a wuss and a bit of a wimp, um, when he was called uh, in the story, and you know what? If, if you're not a, a, a Christian person, um, it doesn't matter. This story still holds true, whether it's true or not. Um, the, um, he, he was called in the story by God to go and uh, banish some enemies and lead the army. And he went, Lord, here I am. But actually, could you send someone else, please? <laughs> and, and in the story, God went, you know what? No, I'd quite like you. And he went, all right, well, if you really mean that, I'll give you, a, you know, Make this, make this fleece wet. And he did. Oh, well, okay, but if you really mean that, make it dry. And in the end, Gideon went, oh, bugger it, I'll just do it. And, and I think I love people who are imperfect, but give it a crack. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Gideon, if I may. And my last one, I mean, I have lots, but my last one, um, and this is, this is someone who's truly inspired me, is Mother Teresa. Now, she's coming for some criticism because she doesn't do big stuff. She's not a... She's not an arena performer. <laughs> she's, she's not the Michael McIntyre of the uh, help, help people world. You know, she's the, she's the kind of small sweaty nightclub kind of, but, but you know what? Um, the, the story about her that has inspired me, Kieran, so much is, um, and I think this is for everyone really. We, you know, you, 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 might only, you might only be able to inspire 30 kids next year, but who knows what those 30 kids will do. She, someone said to her, you know what? Um, do you not sometimes think that what you're doing is just a drop in the ocean? And she said, yes, but the ocean is made entirely from drops. And I think that's brilliant because what you do matters so much, even if you've had a crap day. You know, that one kid you smiled at, that one colleague you touched on the elbow, I don't know, that you, you never know, that one thing you finally understood about, you got someone to understand about decimal points, who knows? So when you've had a crappy day, and you will, just, just try and think of, you know, just try and think of that, that story about Mother Teresa. I think it's so powerful, so powerful. You don't know 
who you impacted and you don't know who they will go on to impact. So you have a, you have a duty to, uh, to inspire people, I think. You have a duty, even when you feel really terrible, to get out there and be the very best version of the imperfect you. What a, what a list of, um, you know, both in terms of education and leading the way to lead our lives, you know, um, a, a fantastic list. So thank, thank you very much for, for sharing that. I think the last question to ask is, are there any final pieces of advice? You know, we've covered quite a lot in this interview. Um, you know, any final advice for teachers looking to supercharge their mathematics teaching? I've, I've, I've written here, love the one you're with. Uh, which is interesting because we're recording this the day after my 30th wedding anniversary. <laughs> okay. As the old joke goes, I'd be out by now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, if, if, if you're not, um, I mean, it, it depends. Are you a, are you a lover of maths? In which case you have a duty to share the beauty. Um, oh, you have a duty to share the beauty. Um, okay. Um, if you're not, then can I invite you just to think about maths, not as the tools, but as the statue. So, um, I think too many people uh, are, are put off maths, and I know why. And it's what I call the net curtains of objectives and, and, and tools. Um, we need to pull those out of the way. Maths is not about uh, calculation. It's about what you can do with the calculations. So when we talked about fluency and reasoning earlier, imagine, you know, imagine the um, Michelangelo comes with his bag of chisels and looks at a big block of stone, and, and he famously says, I saw an angel trying to get out. But, um, he, his reasoning was, I'll use this chisel. And his fluency was, now here's how I use it. And if we only see maths as, here's what to do, I think we don't see the beauty. So my final piece of advice would be, always look at the beauty, always look at the structure, always look at the why, what is so powerful. A division, amazing. If you do a bus stop, you realize that the, the, the two numbers on the outside are the dimensions and the number inside is the area of the rectangle. You know, this is boom, mind blowing stuff. Just try and see the beauty. Look at the structure. It is there. OK, so uh, as I said, Michelangelo was all about the statues and not about the chisels. I, I reckon there's a whole a whole you could ex extend that metaphor, you know, obviously with some thought because, mm. you know, where the, where the David is displayed in Florence, you've got the unfinished, or I, I think they were intentionally unfinished, you know, lining the, the sort of hallway, you've got Michelangelo's unfinished sculptures. And it's like, the, like you said, the angels are trying to break out of the, um, of the thing. So I reckon you could go even, you could have a whole CPD session based on yeah. Michelangelo and the metaphors that he, he's given us for math teaching. I didn't know that, Kieran, I did not know that. I can't, I'll, I'll try and find the name off. Um, can you send it to that? Is, that is brilliant. Yeah, you're right. Hey, we're welcome to metaphor land, folks. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I think teaching is teaching with metaphor is a very powerful thing because it, it touches people at, at a place they can understand. You know, when you say it's like when, oh, right. Teaching, yeah. Metaphor is one of the most underused tools in all of teaching, I think. Maybe, maybe underused by me. Maybe everyone else is absolutely brilliant at it, and I should catch up. Wow, you've made me, uh, you've made me think. Uh, you've made me emotional. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, as Jamie Lawson would say. No, and it, it's been an absolute pleasure. And like, I mean, I'll listen to these four times while editing, and then I always go back and listen more because there's so much that we've talked about that there's no way I'm going to pick it up on one lesson. So I will go back and think, and particularly, you know, like you said, put it, make it relevant to your experience, and. 
in a certain situation, something you say will resonate even more. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really look, looking forward to it. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, I, I, you know, it's been a real honour. And uh, I can't, I'm terrified and excited about listening to your final um, edit there. Mm -hmm.